angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David, the Savior, who is the Messiah of the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in the nature. And suddenly there was the angel with a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. No one can celebrate a genuine Christmas without being truly poor. The self-sufficient, the proud, those who, because they have everything, look down on others, those who have no need, even of God, for them there will be no Christmas. Only the poor, the hungry, those who need someone to come on their behalf will have that someone. That someone is God. Without poverty of spirit, there can be no abundance of God. Oscar Romero. There's actually one more reading that I'll do. This is from John, Gospel of John, first verse, first chapter, first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Merry Christmas, everybody. You might think I'm a, a grouch, but I actually really like Christmas. I think it's, it's quaint. It's nice. I like watching Home Alone. Uh, and we are, like Virginia said, a bit early in, in uh, when we do it. Today is our official Christmas service in this uh, wonderful new space we have. I'm not sure which one I'm more excited about, but the reason we do Christmas early, and we'll talk a little bit about this at the announcements, is uh, we are a young congregation of millennials, and that means most of us travel for the holidays, and when we've had Christmas Eve services, we had like one person show up. So we do Christmas a little early. We'll have some things at the end of the year, um, but for now, this is our official Christmas service. So Christmas is a lot of things for many of us, but the reason for the season, as they say, uh, is this story of Jesus' birth, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> though, though many of us heard this story a million times, I'm uh, continually amazed every year as I, I go back to it by how much depth it has, it's, it's many curiosities, the revelations it contains, right? Depending on the day or your circumstance or maybe what's going on in your life or in the culture at the moment, the story may speak to you differently. You could say that this is a uh, political story, one about empires, hey guys, empires and kings and a group of refugees acting in defiance. You could say, um, actually, can we get that picture up? Some of you might have seen the story about a church. Oh, you can't see it really well, but a church in California whose nativity scene on the church lawn depicts um, 
each of Joseph, baby Jesus, and Mary in these individual cages. Right? It's a, it's a statement, a political statement. Right? And I've seen depictions of this kind just about every year I can think of um, when I've looked, uh, in which the uh, Holy Family represents some sort of um, political outcast or whatever it's going on in the news at the time. Right? So you can see this story as a political story. You can see this story as a one about family, right? Uh, a family that's rocked by some seriously unexpected news uh, that not everyone saw or thought was a good thing. And this family is now learning to cope and stay together through all of it. You could say this is a story about being a faithful witness, as the shepherds are in, are in the reading, as we heard, or about looking for the right signs, as we see with the wise men. Or you could say it's about how there's no room at the, at the inn and what that means for us to open up space in ourselves to welcome God, right? So there's all these various ways we can look at this story. This last week, as I was thinking about it, I was very attracted to the uh, idea of looking at it through the lens of fantasy, the genre, literary genre, right? Not just because Star Wars is about to come out. I am a, actually a big Star Wars fan. But you have in this story a lot of the common tropes of big fantasy epics, right? You have unexpected births uh, in weird ways, unusual births, right? You have saviors coming out of unexpected places uh, from amongst the nobodies, the outsiders, running from people who would want to stop them. Um, you have the unsung heroes who are guiding them along the way. And what I think we love about these fantasy stories in general is the idea that the power to change everything, right, to change the world as we know it, can be held in the hands of you know, a, a little hobbit or a whiny, annoying teenager on Tatooine or a baby born in a nowhere town in a barn that definitely had to smell like poop. <laughs> we read uh, fantasy stories, I think, because we are swept into this idea that we too, right, we nobodies might have more power and possibility in our lives than we could ever imagine. Right? And this Christmas story is about common people doing extraordinary things. Right? These are people who we shouldn't judge on the basis of their status or class or pedigree, right? This story, in other words, I think is also about power and who God thinks is actually truly powerful in this world. So I couldn't help but take all these different interpretations and wonder to myself, is there some sort of unifying principle here? Could we say that all these things have a home in this one idea? Something that will bring it all together, right? And this sort of grand sweeping interpretation is often a bit of a, a fool's errand, right? Uh, because the world is extremely complicated. People try to be like, oh, Trump got elected because of this reason or that reason, right? We, it's probably a lot of things, right? The world is complex, but I'm gonna try my best to offer uh, a singular idea to take home with you for what all of this stuff might mean. I mentioned this, or it's been mentioned, I think, a lot in different um, Christmas sermons or whatever about how the Christmas narrative, the birth narrative of Jesus, is actually a bit outsized in our cultural memory versus its place in the Bible, right? The Gospels, Matthew talks about this stuff, the first Gospel in the Bible, right? But it's like half a chapter. It's like a little tiny thing. Luke, we heard today, more details going on, but it too is very short, about a chapter, and compared to something like, you know, the Passion narrative or whatever, it's also very short. Mark's uh, Jesus arrives fully grown. We get nothing about anything happened before. 
And John, well, John uh, doesn't start with angels and mangers, but starts in this sort of cosmic beginning of things, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. You'd be uh, hard-pressed to consider this a sort of birth narrative, but you might say you get instead a kind of thematic description, a God's-eye view of what is fundamentally going on in this story. As one writer put it, John's passage is a summary of everything for which the completed Jesus story stands. And so we can say, I think, that this story is really about light and light that appears in the midst of darkness. It's a tiny light, right? It's tiny and helpless and vulnerable. The incarnate God doesn't come in a big pillar of fire, but more like a, like a big lighter or something, you know, um, against a strong wind. The birth of Christ for John's gospel goes back all the way to the beginning of time. We're out of, you know, if you remember Genesis 1, uh, out of a chaotic, swirling darkness, whether by a big bang or four simple words, let there be light, there comes life. And light, of course, is the basic condition for organic life. We need it for our own bodies. Mastery over it uh, through fire and so forth has fundamentally shaped our culture and our society. From light comes all life. But the darkness and chaos did not completely disappear. It remained. It's ever-present. It shows up wherever it gets a chance. Sometimes it's overwhelming. We are made blind by it. But still, even again, with like just the smallest spark, darkness scatters. Even in the darkest room, if someone strikes a rock or something, right, you will see it. No darkness is strong enough to snuff out even the faintest part of light. When I thought about this image, I immediately remembered my fear of the dark. Uh, of course, many children have this fear. Um, I had it. Anybody else? Yeah. You're lying. It's all of you. <laughs> But it wasn't really a big problem for most of my life. I spent most of my early childhood and so forth growing up in shared rooms. I shared a room with my grandmother since I was born. Uh, when she passed, I moved in with my brother into his room. Um, when I went to college, I spent college with roommates as well. When college ended, I came home and we moved into this small apartment and my brother and I were reunited again as roomies. It wasn't actually until I moved to Chicago for grad school that I finally lived and slept alone, for real. And I spent that first year with the lamp next to my bed on every night. I was 24 years old. <laughs> and I, I don't feel ashamed about it. I needed it, it was important to me. Uh, I'm proud to say also that now I sleep mostly in, in the dark most of the time, um, at least like 90% of the time, maybe 80% of the time, depending on what weird thoughts I've had that night. But Christ is born, right? And the light of the world comes in amongst the darkness to bring safety and salvation, right? And this is a poetic metaphor, but it's also a visceral truth for a child who lays in fear or 24-year-old college, post-grad, whatever, person by themselves in Chicago as well. 
Right? And so in that sense, there are those who need it, call upon this light, go to great lengths to see it, and then there are those who don't. Right? Just as a, a baby being born can be a great hope for some, and for others, an annoying little alien. I would put myself, you can guess which camp I might be in. Right? The question is, who is looking? Who has eyes to see? Who scans the dark for a glimmer? and celebrates when they catch a glimpse. So consider our reading from uh, Father Oscar Romero, right? He was this priest from El Salvador. He was a a champion of the marginalized. He was a really important figure in liberation theology, and he was ultimately assassinated. So he lived a very... He put put himself out there, right? And And he paid for it anyway. He writes this, right? Again, I'll read it. No one can celebrate a genuine Christmas without being truly poor. The self-sufficient, the proud... Those who, because they have everything, look down on others. Those who have no need, even of God for them, there will be no Christmas. Only the poor, the hungry, those who need someone to come on their behalf will have that someone. That someone is God. The light, it shines for those who need it. Desperate for a new life and the growth that it may bring. Like many who uh, Father Romero ministered to, it shines for those who are crushed by darkness for, who, uh, for those who the world has failed them or rejected them or, rejected them, or perhaps even worse, just ignored them. We had a Christmas party on Friday. Ooh. It was great. Um, and we held an unusual sort of gift exchange for those of you who weren't there, right? Uh, we asked people to bring sort of useful household items like toothpaste. And this was a bit of a fun joke, really just a joke for me internally because when I was a child, every church uh, gathering during Christmas, the families would get together and they would receive household items as a gift. And of course, no kid is excited about getting toothpaste. And so I always held out a little bit of hope that maybe one day I'd tear open that wrapping paper and there wouldn't be detergent, but like a video game. (laughs) It never happened. There was always detergent. But the joke is that now I'm overjoyed by the gift of a cleaning product, right? Because I need it, right? The light of baby Jesus is is like a six-pack of Charmin Ultra Soft toilet paper. The darkness, I guess, in this instance would be like a Nerf gun or something, but you see what I mean, right? What, in some ways, though he would never imagine this, what Oscar Romero might have meant as well. Light represents life, like we said, but what kind of life does it actually represent, right? This passage in John that we hear, if you read further into it, it goes on to say that this light that Jesus was was rejected by people, and people didn't want to see it, but those who believed became children of light. So light on top of being a physical thing, it's also an old metaphor for knowledge, if you're familiar with this, right, in other religions it's true, in philosophical thought from Plato to the medieval period to Descartes, the Enlightenment, knowledge is seen through this uh, metaphor of light. It gives us, it opens us up, right, and it reveals a sort of ultimate kind of truth. The real, 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 real that is often hidden from us, right, shrouded in darkness beyond the range of our very limited sight. To be illuminated is to see things for what they really are. Which is where, you know, we get like the Illuminati sort of thing. 
It's a light that brings clarity, right? and not just clarity, but maybe you could say purity, a change in both what we know and how we see. So the story of Christmas has all these truths that I mentioned, right? All these ways we could see it that point towards an illumination, I think. But this illumination is very different than what we might uh, imagine it to be initially or what we might see in the world, right? Its starting point is not defined by our culture. It's not built upon structures of reason or inquiry that we are so accustomed to, our, our philosophies, our theories. The story of Christmas says that illumination actually begins with a child in a manger or a, actually a trough Right? And the kind of world where such a thing could actually take place. As one theologian put it, this child is their hermeneutical principle which unlocks the mystery of the world. In other words, the light of Christ in baby Jesus is like a starting point for us from which everything else is made known. If you've gone to church a long time in your life, uh, you've probably heard, hopefully, some things about what the world looks like when such a light shines on it, right? These are lessons and teachings we've, we've heard over the course of our lives, right? In this world in which that light shines, the first shall be last, right? You must lose your life to save it. In this world, we forgive those who harm us rather than seek their punishment, and we love our enemies. In this world, the meek inherit the earth, and those who are poor in spirit receive the kingdom of heaven. This is a world where all those different revelations from the Christmas story become real and true. And so this light, I would say, is nothing short of a revelation in how we see everything. Right? It's, it's not just this like little lesson. It's a fundamental shift in how we see. So much so that when we actually encounter it, it kind of messes with us. It blinds us. It disorients us. Right? I've heard these teachings of Jesus over and over again. Most of the time, they wash right over me. I'm sure 99% of my sermons just wash over people. <laughs> but there have been those times, right? Most often when I have been in need, when I have been in darkness, when I actually looked and found myself standing fundamentally in a different place, in a different light. Maybe you know this feeling too, and, and you know that when it happens, it's almost like your old self feels like a stranger to you. The world turns upside down. How you think of yourself, the identity you carry with you, who you want to be, all that stuff starts to shift and change. I struggle to think of a good analogy for this. Here's the best one I came up with. It's like um, when you realize racism is real, Right? And not like real, but like really real, like built into uh, the structures of everything from like where we place our highways or to the sort of norms that govern job interviews. Right? You know what I mean? Like you, when you see that, when you know that, uh, when you get educated about it, when you build relationships that push and challenge you on such things, one day you start noticing that you see the world differently. Now you're suddenly seeing all these things, it's been exposed to you in a certain way. And so, uh, this is the kind of shift, change, perspective, illumination that the story is speaking about, right? We may all think we'd like some light to shine, but when it does, you might see some things you wish you didn't see. The darkness often suits us better, it is easier and comfortable. 
So, this bleak Christmas sermon I am giving. Christmas comes to those for whom the comfort of darkness is no comfort at all. Christmas comes for those who are in need of light. And for those who need it, there is uh, good news for us. We'll end here with this good news that we all need to hear from time to time. For those who need it, there is this good news. Emmanuel, we've seen that during this time, God is with us. We are not alone. There's the good news of a truth uh, full of peace, joy, hope, and love that is rising like a sun, sort of revealing uncovering, unmasking the land, what's been hidden. The good news that there is a light that shines in the darkness and the promise also that the darkness cannot overcome this light. Remember this as you watch Home Alone or do whatever you do for your Christmas holiday. Christmas may come as a calendar thing, but I urge us to be ready for it, to want it, to need it, to seek it, to open our eyes in the darkness to see the light. Amen.